following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. Uh, good to see you all this morning. And uh, still sad that we can't all meet together all at the same time, but uh, thankful we can at least uh, meet some in person. So uh, we're uh, do, continuing our last part of our series on, on why church, why church is important, how uh, the church should be a part of our lives, and how we uh, as members ought to be contributing and participating in the life of uh, the, the fellowship of faith. And so we'll start by reading, um, I'm going to be working, and actually I realize I have way too many Bible verses this morning, sorry, uh, but let's start with Romans chapter 15, because we'll be spending quite a bit of time in Romans 15, starting in verses 17 through 33. So let me read. Uh, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what is, has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Um, <clears throat> So uh, we're doing this series on the church, why church, and we looked the first week at uh, the importance of communion, uh, which is our worship of God together, and uh, the idea that our gathering together to worship God is actually greater when we do it collectively than we do it when we do it on our own. Both are important, but there's something very powerful about when we gather for worship. And then last week we looked at the importance of community. And of course, community by very definition is something you can only do when you're gathered with other people. Community is not something you do on your own, right? 
Uh, there's no such thing as a community of one. And then this morning we're going to look at, at commission, about why it's important for us to be doing uh, ministry together as co-workers of the gospel to fulfill the Great Commission. And we have a fun graphic that kind of pictures this when we put all the pieces together. Um, we see the outer ring of sun, sunlight is God's glory. We, we do everything for God's glory, and we hope that through what we do as the church, God is glorified uh, in the church, in his church. Uh, and we, uh, on the one side it says live in. And that's the, these, these co-words, communion, commission, and community, that we uh, as believers are called to live in community and fellowship with each other in the church. Right? We are to be a community, a family, who uh, worships together, who does life together, and who does mission together. Uh, but we do that so that we can build each other up, so that we can be strengthened and encouraged and equipped, so that we can go out into the world and live out our faith, live out our Christian life in the world, where we are loving God, loving people, and building his kingdom, uh, and making an impact uh, as we do mission. Right, And as we do that, there's another build-up symbol underneath there, because as we do ministry, as we do God's work, we are going to be building up, making disciples, seeing people come to Christ, seeing them plugged back into the church, right? So this is a, a, an ongoing cycle, and, and uh, for us at CCF, we want this to be true of our church. We want to be this to describe who we are as a group of people, as a local fellowship, as a, as a church. Um, so as we jump into this, we're going to focus more on the living out piece of it. What does it mean to do mission, to, to be doing ministry? And I want to ask a quick question. Uh, which do you like better, spiders or ants? Can I, want, I want a show of hand vote. How many of you like spiders better? Not too many. How many of you like ants better? Okay, we like ants better. They seem less threatening, perhaps. Um, uh, so spiders uh, work alone. They uh, live alone. They spin uh, webs for themselves and don't really share so much. Um, but their web is just a, an incredible feat of construction. And if you've ever watched an ant, a, a spider make a, a web, it really is quite impressive. Um, ants, on the other hand, do everything together. They live together. They work together. They gather their food together. And they uh, share the, the fruit of their labor together. Uh, and it's quite interesting to watch a group of ants, if you've ever seen them working together, how coordinated their work is. And if you've ever watched them moving like a, a, a giant leaf or a dead bug or something, uh, the, the, the thing could be a hundred times the size of the ant. And even with their great strength, uh, one ant doesn't do it alone, right? They come together and you see this crazy as these ants just all, it's like they know where they're going and they just seem like they're kind of scrambling around, but slowly their, uh, their cargo moves along, right, to the goal. Um, so, so you like spiders better than ants, but uh, which would you rather be? Would you rather be, be a spider or would you rather be an ant? Another show of hands. Which would you would rather be a spider? If you had to choose. Which of you would rather be an ant? Okay, most of you are going, I'm not being a bug. Don't, don't make me be a bug, right? <laughs> right? Uh, well, what's interesting is, as we think about serving God and how the Bible talks about doing mission, doing life together, uh, what do you think Scripture says how we should be? Should we, uh, as God's people, function more like spiders who are lone rangers, live in our own web, do our own thing, catch our own victim and eat our own food? 
Or are we to be more like ants who come together collectively and work together as one big living organism? Well, that's the question we want to answer this morning. When we think about uh, not just doing mission, but how we are to do it together, what it looks like for us to do mission as part of the church. Or is ministry just something we all do on our own? It's just a private individual thing, and it really doesn't matter how we connect are serving uh, with the body of Christ. We want to answer that question. Uh, To sort of start off, we want to really look at what it means to build the kingdom, this idea of being on co-mission, on mission together. Uh, What we are doing is we are helping, uh, working to build God's kingdom. And uh, I'll share in a minute why that may not be the best title, but it's what we call it. We say, love God, love people, build his kingdom. So what do we mean by building God's kingdom? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from two Great Commission passages to start with. Uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago as we finished up Matthew. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Great Commission passage says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. So we, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Two important things. One is uh, baptizing people. And the idea is that's the culmination of our sharing Christ, sharing the good news, sharing what Christ did on the cross and, and through his death and resurrection to purchase our salvation and that we uh, can be saved only through the work of Christ. And the culmination of us sharing that word, that message with uh, non-believers that the, is that they would come to faith They would put their trust and faith in Christ, and they would graduate, so to speak, through baptism as a mark and sign of their faith in Jesus alone to save them. And then after that, we are called to teach them. We don't just say, okay, you're saved, good for you, I'm done with you. No, we we actually are called to teach them to observe or obey or follow everything that Jesus commanded, everything that Jesus instructed about what it means to be a believer, to be a follower of Christ. Um, another important uh, Great Commission passage, of course, is Acts 1.8, uh, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit uh, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Two key ideas here. One is the idea of being a witness. A witness is somebody who, who saw something, and they tell others about what they saw. They they give testimony or they testify. They're, they bear witness to what they saw. And of course, the first disciples actually saw Jesus crucified and they saw Jesus raised from the dead and the resurrected Lord. Uh, we now bear witness to their testimony, but also to Jesus' saving work in our own life. Right? We tell others we, we are a witness to what God has done, uh, what Jesus has done to save us. And so we are witnesses. We, we don't save people. But rather, we, we point people to Jesus, who is the way of salvation. Right? We witness to him. And of course, this also explains the extent of the mission. We are to do this until we have gone to the very ends of the earth. Right? So building his kingdom is not just a local thing that, that they did just in Jerusalem. It was to extend all the way to the ends of the world. And in this picture, we get a beginning idea that this is not something any one person can do by themselves. Uh, Reen's back there. Reen's been a missionary here how many years? 57, 90, 130. 
a long time, not that long, 30 plus. Uh, have you, have you, have you told every person in Thailand about Jesus yet? What have you been doing? 30 years, you haven't told every person yet, right? It would be impossible, right? Even in 30 years, it would be impossible to share Christ with 65 million people just in Thailand, much less 6 billion people in the world, right? It becomes clear that if we're going to do this, we're going to have to do it not as a solo effort, right? It's going to require the whole church out bearing witness to Christ, right? It's, it's a task that requires all of us working together, uh, so I call it, you know, my little slogan I came up with a long time ago, love God, love people, build the kingdom. I actually wish I hadn't used the word build, because the truth is we don't really build God's kingdom. Ultimately, God builds it, right? It probably would have been better if I would have said, love God, love people, proclaim the kingdom, because that's really what we do. We're proclaiming Christ. We're proclaiming the gospel. But there is a sense in which we, we do partner with God in, in ministry, Right? And uh, Matthew, we, we just finished the book of Matthew, and, and the, the Gospel of Matthew is very heavy on this idea of kingdom. So we see that Jesus, in Matthew 4.23, went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Right? Uh, we are called by Jesus to pray for the kingdom in Matthew 6.10, the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus urges us to seek the kingdom, right? Six, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then when Jesus actually sent out his uh, 12, his disciples, uh, on ministry, uh, he told them to do the same thing he was doing. In Matthew chapter 10, he says the 12 uh, Jesus sent out instructing them, uh, and pro- he said, I proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, so this work of proclaiming, of bearing witness, of making disciples is really kingdom work. And uh, it does involve uh, uh, not just proclaiming, but we, we are invited by God to partner with him in, in the work that he's doing. So ultimately it is God's work, but, but he's asked us, he's invited us, and he's called us to, to actually be working with him. So uh, in a very real sense, we are building the kingdom. And perhaps uh, the best expression of this is in Romans 15:18, where Paul says this. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. I love that, right? It's this great picture of the joint effort of Jesus and Paul working together to accomplish the building of the kingdom, right? Paul was the one out there doing much of the labor. He was out there sharing Christ. He was out there getting beat up uh, because of his witness and thrown in jail and stoned and shipwrecked. Right? He was out there hands-on doing the work. But Paul knows that nothing came about by his effort by itself. Right? It was only uh, as Christ has accomplished it through him, uh, through his, his effort. Right? Um, so, so we see that uh, as, as we continue on with uh, this verse, we're going to see three things that Paul was doing to build the kingdom. So he says, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. So when we talk about kingdom building activity, we're really talking about three primary tasks that we're involved in. The first one is the work of uh, what we call the ministry of the word. And that is the, the, the most direct proclaiming, telling of the gospel. 
It's, it's speaking and teaching, right, through our mouth, through our words, um, how to know Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us and how we follow him. So Paul, Paul writes in Romans 10:14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So he's talking about all those lost people out there, those unreached people groups, and those people who have never heard of Christ or never heard a full explanation of who Jesus really is. Uh, how will they call on him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Uh, now, of course, we see this word preaching, and for some of us it sounds kind of scary, because we think that uh, preaching is like you have to stand up in front of a large group of people and talk, right? But the word doesn't necessarily mean that in this context. It's just really the idea of explaining, of telling. And it's something we can do in large crowds, but it's something we can do one-on-one with our neighbor, our friend, people we work with, uh, explaining to them uh, who Christ is. And we do that by what's revealed in the Word. Right? It's the ministry of the Word. It's rooted not in our own ideas and our own opinions, but it's what God has revealed about Christ and his purpose in the Bible. Right, in the Word of God. Uh, so that's an important part of kingdom-building work, uh, preaching the Word. And I didn't talk about that, but on our little graphic, we had a little heart in the middle. And at the top word, it said the Word. Right, The Word should penetrate everything that we do, both in the community and in mission. But it's not only proclaiming the Word. right? We also are called, and Paul uh, practice this out to do what I call the ministry of works. He says, in word and deed. And deed is the works, the things that we do to demonstrate what the gospel is. So we, we, we tell people what this Bible says about the gospel, but we also need to show and demonstrate how it works by how we live it out in our life, by our deeds, by our actions, um, showing the gospel by our life, and by a love that is visible and tangible. Right? Not just saying that we love people, not just saying that we love the world, but showing our love by caring for people, by helping people, by serving people. Uh, so Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Right? which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And a very important distinction here is we are not saved by good works. In fact, if you, if you know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Right? We have not been saved by our good efforts, by our hard work, by being a good person. That's not what saves us. Jesus alone saves us. But once we've come to Christ, once he has saved us, once he has changed our heart and our life, we are then called to do good works, right? to go out and serve and give and love and, 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 and minister to people in need. Uh, Jesus talks about this also in Matthew chapter 5, where he said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may what? So they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Right? 
We are the light of the world. And one of the ways that that light shines through our life is when people see our good works. See how we love the poor and take care of the the vulnerable and the marginalized and those in need. Right? Uh, We're called to that. And this is one of the first glimpses we get that this work is not the work of spiders, but of ants. Right? He doesn't say, you are a poor, lonely little light up on top of Doisutep. Right? Not what he says. He says, you're a city on a hill. Right? If, if not, and I don't care how dark it is. If we went up on the top of Doisutep and you were up there with a flashlight, somebody down here would not see it. Right? But a city on a hill, if we built a whole city up there, you wouldn't miss it. Right? You would see it. And so what we are collectively as the body of Christ is a much brighter light than what any of us shine on our own, right? So it is how we come together as the church of Christ and we serve and do good works together that uh, increases and expands the, the brightness, the power of our light. Uh, and thirdly, so we, so we do ministry in the, wor- in the word, we do ministry in works, and finally we do ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He says, he says that by signs and by wonders, and through the power of the whole, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, signs and wonders uh, really has to do with um, with miraculous things, right? Paul uh, and, and the other apostles uh, did miracles, right? They prayed for crippled people, and they were instantly healed and walked. Uh, Paul uh, was privileged to pray for for dead people who came back to life. I cannot tell you how much I want this gift, right? Uh, seriously, I have prayed for this gift, and every time I, as a pastor, get called to do some hospital visitation, I just have this whole thing with God about, God, why can't I just go to the hospital and pray for this person and see them healed, right? I want that. God has not seen uh, it, his will to give me that gift yet, right? I pray for people, and I have seen healed. I have seen people healed. It usually takes months, if not years, Right? Not instantly. Not in a way that most people would say, well, that was miraculous, right? And you may feel that way. You may feel like, I've never, I've never done miracles. How, if, if we're supposed to do uh, ministry by, by the miraculous, maybe a lot of us are in trouble, right? Uh, but, but the real emphasis is not on, on the miracles so much as the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He said, by signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he does these things. And in Acts 1 8, as we saw, promises us that we have this power. Acts 1 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. Not you might receive power, or if you're really good, you're really a good Christian, if I really like you, I might think about giving you power. No. You will receive power. So if you have come to Christ and you are walking with Him and you have. His Spirit has been poured out in your life, and you have power. And the truth is, uh, you may not do what we would think of as spectacular miracles, but any time that you are out bearing witness and you're sharing Christ with people and somebody comes to Christ, I'm telling you, that is a miracle. Because it's never something you did by your power. If someone comes to true faith in Christ and their life is changed, it is by the power and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle. It really is a miracle greater than raising somebody from the dead. Because they have now eternal life. Right? And, and, and you were a part of that as you shared Christ. 
And, and to whatever extent, in, as you've taught and trained and encouraged and prayed for people, and, and your work has bore fruit in the lives of other people, and then being changed and transformed more and more to be like Christ, that is, that is a miracle, right? That is the power of God working in us and through us, right? So, so we, we do build the kingdom by those, those three main things, through the ministry of the word, through the ministry of our works, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And every single believer is called to build the kingdom in that way, to do God's work and serve him. Um, but that, that kind of brings us back to the, the question, um, can't we just do that as spiders, right? Can't we just go up into our own little corner and just do our own little thing and use my gifts and do my little ministry and not be bothered with everybody else? Can't I just be a spider, build my little web, capture my little victims, suck the life out of them? Oh, wait, wait, no, no, that's, that's, going, that's going the wrong direction here. Um, uh, or, or in Scripture, does it really have this idea that we... We must work together. We must be like ants in order for it to be successful. Well, it's true that a lot of ministry is done individually. Certainly, our own personal witness is extremely important. Our own character, how we share Christ, how we personally are are speaking and teaching the word is super important. Um, How we're making disciples, uh, not just in a big group, but one-on-one with our own family, with our children, with our neighbors and friends and um, People we work with, and and certainly we can we can do work, uh, good works on our own. We can come alongside the poor, and and maybe sometimes we help people in ways that nobody else knows. Because Jesus said, you know, we should do these things in secret, right? That's good. Uh, but but at the same time, uh, there are some tasks about building the kingdom that absolutely cannot be completed, that we cannot do unless we do them corporately together, right? And I want to highlight, there's, there's probably many, but I just want to look this morning at a couple of ways that we have to work together to really accomplish uh, our mission. That if we only do it by ourselves, we will fail. We will, we will we'll gain some progress, but we will not see ultimate success. Right? So the first way that we see it's essential, that we must work together, is what I call the witness of oneness, the witness of oneness. Uh, this comes from J- John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. Uh, and if you know this, John chapter 17, Jesus prays uh, for his disciples. And it's this amazing prayer right before he goes to the cross where he is pouring out his heart to the Father, praying for the disciples. And he starts off praying for his, uh, the 12 who were with him. But then in, in verse 20, he starts expanding it. And he starts praying for those who will become disciples as a result of the ministry of the twelve. And that, that comes down all the way to us. So in, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying literally for you and I uh, as he prays. And he says this, I do not ask for these only, that is the twelve, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their witness, through their testimony. And what's Jesus' prayer? This is his prayer. I pray that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. And the point of this is that our most significant witness, right, the way that we will be most effective and most powerful in being a witness to the world is not through my own individual life, but by uh, our collective unity and oneness as his church. Right? Uh, and, and this is something you cannot do by yourself, right? Uh, this is something that re- requires a group effort. That requires being co-workers in co-mission. Right? Uh, and, and what we are to do is we are to become one with each other in the same way that the Father and the Son are, are one. Right? And through this, it displays two things. First, it displays to the world, it shows the world that Jesus was sent into the world by the Father. Right? So when we, when we live in oneness, it, it, it is a, a witness, an apologetics, if you will, a defense for the fact that Jesus was everything that he claimed to be. Um, some people wonder why Jesus didn't make his resurrection a lot more obvious, right? a lot more plain. It seems like that would have been a great way to convince people that Jesus was real. But Jesus says, no, that's not what's going to do it. What's going to convince people that I am real, that I came into the world from God, is when my church lives with profound oneness. And not only that, but he says that also through their witness of oneness, it will show that, that God loves Christ and he loves the church. As we love each other, as we show care for each other, it shows the world how much God loved us. Right? And so this is powerful, right? And this is, put it, put it simple, this is the witness of ants, not the witness of spiders, right? Uh, when you look at a, 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 colon, a colony of ants doing their work together, it is a great wonder of nature. And likewise, when the church comes together in oneness and works together and loves each other, it is an incredible wonder of God's power and grace. And unfortunately, I don't know that we're doing that very well right now in the world. <laughs> like I see these stories every day of churches who are... <laughs> anything but one, right? Where they are just fighting and squabbling and um, disintegrating, right? And we are losing our witness because we're living like spiders. Because we've gone off into this individualistic mindset and, and we are not coming together as one. Uh, it is the church that works together and loves each other that will truly have um, convincing witness. Convincing witness, right? Um, and, and there's a lot of failed attempts at unity, okay? And it's important for us to understand what unity really is. Um, oneness is not a matter of an aligning with the right leader or party or idea or theology, this is how it often happens in the world. You know, the world wants to be united. And the world, people in the world will talk a lot about the need for harmony and peace and world peace and coming together, right? Um, fighting COVID together. Um, and, and here's the thing. It's easy to come together when you are fighting a common enemy. And this is what, what, 
what actually does bring a lot of people, what actually uh, causes some level of unity, when people come together against uh, a common enemy, some leader that they all hate. And you see this with demonstrations all over the world, right? I won't name countries. Uh, you can picture your own. Uh, where people are out demonstrating, right? They're united together because they all hate the same guy, right? They all hate the same government. They're all convinced that the problems are the current government. Uh, and that, that does unite people. What happens when, that, uh, when they succeed and they topple that enemy and then they get in power, uh, you know what happens? Their unity dissolves like, like a vapor in the morning because they can no longer agree on the best plan forward. Right, and now they become the new enemy that everybody else can shoot at, right? Um, because they can't agree on the right path. Uh, people unite over a common uh, cause or problem in the world: um, environmental problems, or poverty, or injustice, or racial inequality. It's easy to unite around those issues, but you get those groups t- together and you say, "Okay, let's talk about the solution." They can't agree on the solution, right? And, and they, will, they will start fighting because they have very strong and differing ideas about how it will be fixed. Right? And, and they, the thing is, the real issue is not leaders or ideologies or uh, co- the right cause. The real problem in the world is sin. <laughs> it is sin. Right? We all, uh, all people, every human being by nature is sinful, which means we are selfish Self-centered, self-seeking, looking after our own glory. And when people uh, get in our way, we resent them, or we harm them, or worst case, we want to destroy them. That's our human nature. And so replacing one sinner with a different sinner, you get the same results. A broken, fractured, divided world. And unfortunately, churches uh, uh, try to unite oftentimes in the same way. Uh, churches a lot of times try to unite around one really strong, powerful, charismatic leader, <laughs> which would not be me, right? Nobody said, man, that Tim is so charismatic, right? Um, I'm not that kind of leader, and I don't want to be, right? But oftentimes churches, they, they, they come together around these very strong, powerful, entertaining leaders, uh, but, but, you know, they're sinful people, right? Sooner or later, they will... They will they will make a mistake, right? Because we all, none of us are perfect. Right? And then what happens? Or maybe they're a good, faithful leader and they serve many years, but what happens when they die? Right? We don't all live forever. Then what do they rally around? And I've seen it where uh, good leaders have stepped down and the church has fallen apart because he was what united them. Uh, sometimes people, uh, churches unite not around a leader, but around their theology or their vision. And, and please understand me, I, I love theology. I think understanding Scripture rightly is extremely important. And I think we should all be developing our understanding, our, our theology, our understanding of God and his word. But uh, you cannot unite around theology. For one reason, because you can't agree on it, right? Like if I were to go around this room and just you know survey the theologies, on every point, I guarantee that none of us would be all on one page. Of course, we all know I have the right theology. We all know that, right? Yeah, sure. Walt's back there shaking his head. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. No, uh, and, and God never intended for theology to be something that unites us. 
If that's how we do it, what it will do is it will divide us. Like it'll it'll unite this small group over here. They'll be united, but then everybody else becomes an enemy. Everybody else becomes the bad guys because they don't have my theology, right? Uh, and here's the thing: uh, theology never saved anyone, right? Uh, uh, the right vision never saved anyone because theology never took on human flesh, flesh and came this earth and lived in this earth so that it could lay down its life for you on the cross. And there's only one who did that. And that's Jesus, right? He is the only means of unity in the church. And that's exactly what it says here in, in, um, in John 17, right? We are to be uh, one in Christ. We are to be in him. And the more that we are in him, the more we will be united with each other, right? It is, it is being in relationship with Jesus, in communion with him, in love with him, being one with him that unites us. And the more we do that, the more we will grow in, in, in unity with each other. And the more we are one with Jesus, the more we put ourselves in him, the more we are transformed to become like him. Right, we begin to conform to his character, his thinking, his heart, his love, right, his purpose, his mission. And once we do that, when we start having his mind, his thoughts, uh, focused on his vision, we do come together, oftentimes with, with much the same thought and mind and thinking and heart. But we don't come together being all the same. Right? That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We come with incredible diversity and differences in languages and cultures and backgrounds and perspectives. And those are valuable and important. Unity doesn't mean we're all cookie cutters conformed to one same pattern. Right? But it means we are one in Christ and through him we, as, as the church around the world, are to be more and more as one. As one. And, and this is just... Uh, such an important and powerful part of our witness. Uh, Jesus talks about this also in John thirteen thirty five, where he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. <clears throat> right? So, it, so, so our mission to be successful, to reach the world for Christ, is absolutely dependent on us doing it together, loving each other, being a community that cares for each other. It is our witness to the world that Christ is real. Second thing that, that, that we, we must do is we, we also must combine our resources. As we said, you know, building the kingdom is a monumental task. right? There's six or seven billion people. I don't know. It keeps growing, right? People keep reproducing. More and more people all the time. Billions, right? Reaching them all for Christ is a huge task. And there's no way any one of us can do it alone. Right? It takes the combined resources of all the body of Christ. Right? And there's a couple of ways we can think about these resources and combining them, bringing them together. Uh, first is actually is, is the combined resources of, of our finances, of our wealth, of our material possessions. Uh, in Romans 15.25, uh, Paul says, uh, and this is where he's been talking about, uh, previous to this, he's talking about doing ministry in word and, and deed and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And then he gives them some other <coughs> instructions about wanting to visit them. And he says, but before I visit them, he says in verse 25, at the present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Uh, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And uh, we see this, uh, this mission of Paul's actually traced through several of his letters, where he talks about this offering. And he wants to bless the church in Jerusalem, which was going through a famine and a lot of persecution, with an offering, with a gift to help them through this time of crisis. Uh, But Paul doesn't want just a little tiny offering. He doesn't want to show up with a few crackers, right? You know, he wants to really bless them. So he urges all the churches that he worked with, dozens of them, maybe hundreds of them, to take offerings together. And we see him writing to the church in Corinth, warning them. He says, I'm going to come visit you, and I'm going to come collect your offering. Don't embarrass me by not having a good, a good stack of cash. Okay, that's my own translation. Okay, that's not quite what he said. Uh, but he does kind of guilt them into, like, you know, the whole church is, is contributing to this. And, and, and Paul's heart here was he wanted to really bless the church in Jerusalem with a substantial offering, an offering big enough that no one donor could fund it, right? Uh, maybe he did, just didn't know Bill Gates, you know, go find that one donor who can write several million dollar check, right? Uh, no, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm not one of the ten wealthiest people in the world, not even probably one of the top ten billion, whatever, I'm at the bottom, right? Uh, but, but when we combine our material wealth together, we can do things that any one of us could never do alone. Uh, so uh, the way we've done that here at CCF is uh, we started a foundation uh, 15, 16 years ago called the Family Connection Foundation. And uh, we, as a church, invested a lot of money in getting that up and running, several million baht. And we still, to this day, help support. So your offerings help set up that ministry. And we just finished our annual report. If you want to see a copy of it, I actually have some. Um, but but here's here's kind of the impact as we've pooled our resources. And not just ours, but actually money's come from all over the world now. Um, uh, and as we uh, as we poured into that, uh, this last year in 2020, FCF um, had 17 different ministries and, and literally impacted thousands of lives across Thailand. Uh, in 2020, in the midst of COVID, more than 1,600 people received food and direct aid. Right? And many of you helped with the food distributions, uh, donating as well as packing and, and distributing food. 258 children received scholarships and mentoring to stay in school. Uh, we ha- saw 38 human trafficking convictions and more than 13 million Thai baht given in victim compensation. Uh, and all told, uh, through FCF projects, more than 2,000 people heard the gospel, right? And and uh, and that gets funded a lot, not a lot actually anymore. It's funded in part by 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 CCF, right? And and uh, what's really fun about all that is not only do we uh, see com- the combined uh, resources of our money, but FCF itself uh, partners. And doesn't do this alone. And up here you can't see there's a bunch of little symbols. You probably can't see them. But those are all the partnering organizations that, that FCF works with. Over 50 ministries and other agencies that they work with. Partnering, right? Combining resources. 
So it's not like they're just doing ministry all by themselves, right? They are part of the body of Christ as these ministries work together. And, and I know many of you do the same thing, right? You're partnering, you're working together, and that's how it should be. Uh, but also, we, so we combine our resources, we also combine our prayers. Right? Paul continues on in his plea to the Romans. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Right? We, we are to be a people who pray for the mission. And we do it collectively. We come together to pray for each other and for uh, the work of God to go forward. Paul says, I need your prayers, not just individually, but corporately, that you would come together and be praying that uh, things would go well for me in Jerusalem. Um, which, by the way, it didn't, actually. So we don't know if they didn't pray or if they prayed and it could have gone worse for Paul, right? But he ends up going to Rome actually as a prisoner, not as a missionary. Uh, also, we combine our gifts, right? Each of us has spiritual gifts. And in in many places in Scripture, it talks about us coming together, using our gifts uh, in a coordinated, collaborated way, right? Um, and all this is ultimately coordinated. The point is, we, we are to be we're working together as the body of Christ, with, with Christ as the head, and the Holy Spirit, if you will, as the project manager, Who's, who's directing us, who's coordinating us as we work together for his kingdom. And it's, 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 it's important, it's vital that we do it with this heart of being co-workers together in the work of Christ. Um, back uh, many years ago when Airbus was building the A380, you know, that big massive two-decker airplane that that now doesn't fly anymore because there aren't that many passengers, right? But when they were trying to build the A380, it was a massive undertaking and a very technical, very complicated airplane. And so they pieced out the work all over the world. And they had companies all over the world and, and workers all over the world uh, designing and building the parts and pieces uh, that then got shipped back to, to, uh, to assemble at their plant. But they made a mistake, and they didn't realize that all these people working all over the world were using different computer programs to design the parts. And when the parts started showing up and they started trying to assemble the airplane, none of the parts fit. And it cost them six billion U.S. dollars to fix. And it delayed the project by over two years, right? Because they weren't coordinating their effort. Because they weren't really working together. They were all kind of working on a different, a different platform, right? Well, you know, are we like that as the church? All kind of working on our own thing, doing our own program, our own little thing? Or is Christ really the one leading us, right? And if Christ is leading us, then he will lead us in oneness, right? Because he's a good project manager. He's smarter than the guys at Airbus, Right? Uh, he will lead us in a coordinated effort that will be effective and powerful if we will let him be head. Right? And let me just close with this passage from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Uh, the very glory of God is, is tied up in his church. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God's glory is tied up in his church. Every bit as much as in Jesus himself. Right? So it's super important that we get this right. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we just uh, have to confess that sometimes, maybe many times, um, we, we work and operate far more like spiders than like ants. Where we're off in our own corner doing our own thing and not really uh, working in a coordinated, collaborative way with the body of Christ. And uh, Lord... I know many times we've just been confused about what the church is and our part in it and how vital it is to our witness and our mission. Lord, we we confess that and we pray, Lord, that you will help us understand uh, why it's so vitally important for us to come together as your people for the sake of your glory and for the sake of of seeing a lost world come to Christ. Uh, Lord, may you lead us. May Jesus truly be our glorious head. And may we, we not be off just doing ministry our own way and our own, our, our own plan, but really doing it in submission to Jesus who is our head and in partnership as co-laborers for the gospel. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.